About a swinging bird not far from the gate Run by a cat by the name of Will And everyone calls him Will the Thrill That was written for me by this band called the Moon Rays out of Chicago And they, I, I didn't meet them until years later But they contacted me a long time ago And they knew, they heard about Thrillville And they wanted to write music for it So uh, it's on their album called uh, uh, The Ghouls Go Rest West, which just got re-released as a, an LP. It was on CD originally. So there's a jingle version on my website. If you go to thrillville.net on the front page, there's the version that was played before my live shows, and Monica and I would come out and dance to it. Well, that makes it official. You're my first guest to have their own theme music. <laughs> Folks, there's a link to that Moonways album in the show notes. Or, if you're not using a podcast player, go back to the website where you download the show, and you'll see the show notes there. The series with Will the Thrill started in episode 106. Go to the show archive to catch up. Would you be interested in doing the same reading you did for the Noir at the Bar? I got it right here ready to go if you got time. Cool, let's do it. This is from Vic Valentine's Space Cadet. This is one of the chapters that's more, like I said, on the Bukowski end of the spectrum because he's been slipping in and out of two different dimensions, you know, Planet Thrillville. And Planet Thrillville is kind of like a manifestation of all things Thrillville led by Will the Thrill. So my my alter ego, Will the Thrill, the lounge lizard host of Thrillville, is now a character in this book. He's kind of a part of Vic Valentine's consciousness and possibly an alternate identity but Vic also lives in this little room in in the Fremont district of Seattle by himself and he's old he's not sure how he got there he's walking dogs he's got cash under his mattress he's not sure how it got there a nurse comes in once a week a sexy nurse to take care of him who kind of looks like his wife whom he can't find but who shows up on planet Thrillville so this is Vic back on earth as he knows it and I'll just jump right in. It's going to be first person, so this is Vic talking, not me. And yes, there is a distinction between the two. <laughs> As I sit and stare at the Space Needle, mesmerized by its retro-futuristic immobility and time, I wonder how I can make it launch and take me back to Planet Thrillville. Of course, I have no idea how or why or when I was returned to Earth, which must have been against my will. Will the thrill. I even miss that crazy bastard if he ever actually existed. At least Jean-Luc still exists, but he's just an old dog, like me. I pet Jean-Luc, who no longer talks to me, at least not in human language. 
I miss our conversations back on Planet Thrillville. I miss the isolation from humanity, especially now that I'm once again surrounded by swarms of strangers who all annoy me just by their very presence. They don't make me feel less lonely, they make me feel lonelier, because none of them are Val. And even though they can talk, they don't have anything to say I want to hear. I hug Jean-Luc around the neck, pressing my forehead against his, hoping to communicate telepathically. He just licks my face. He can't talk, and the space needle can't fly. But I can die if I try. I feel ready for the next phase, even if it's nothing, especially if it's nothing. I'm just so tired. As I contemplate my few options, I hear a saxophone playing a melancholy melody nearby. Since it's Christmas Eve and very cold, no one else is around. Just this lone sax player and me and Jean-Luc. Then I recognized the tune, Windswept, by Johnny Jewell. It became one of my personal signature tunes when I first heard it on Twin Peaks The Return many, many years ago, or so it seems now from this unknown vantage point in space and time. I would virtually play it on Planet Thrillville all the time when sitting alone by the lake, watching the nymphs and mermaids frolicking in the placid water beneath the falls. It seems unlikely a sax player would play such a relatively obscure tune. It's not exactly a standard. Most wouldn't recognize it. It's as if he's playing it only for me. Unless I'm just hearing what I want to hear and he's actually playing Silent Night or something more seasonally correct. We all just hear what we want to hear sometimes, right? Maybe it's just me. What difference does it make what we perceive to be real or not? It's also ephemeral anyway. Finally, I drop Jean-Luc off and go home to my studio apartment. I no longer have cable or Netflix or any of that high-tech jazz. Just remnants of my once-epic DVD Blu-ray collection. Almost all vintage horror sci-fi noir films. I have the entire Ultra Lounge CD series from the 90s and some West Coast jazz LPs, but that's about it, music-wise. Though I do tune into KNKX, the local jazz station, now and then. I also have a modest stack of books, mostly Raymond Chandler, John Fonte, and Charles Bukowski. I've distilled my possessions down to the very essence, just enough to keep me preoccupied between dog walks and preventing me from killing myself. My place is not only small, but sparsely furnished. All of my books and movies are neatly stacked in fruit crates set side by side atop each other. Then over the very top is my TV and Blu-ray player. Beside that is a combo CD-LB player on a stand. I sleep on a comfortable couch that pulls out into a bed, though I never bother to do that, preferring to crash on it and doze off while staring at the screen. I lead the life of a solitary hermit. I like it. I feel content with my Spartan lifestyle. I just wish I had someone to share it with, sometimes. Mostly when I'm out and about on the street, I keep my head down and avoid any eye contact with other humans. I belong someplace else, I think, a breed apart, unto myself, drifting aimlessly through my own little slice of the infinite. I am only here to mate with Earth women, but not to propagate my own kind. The universe can barely stand one of me. I'm meant to be in solitary confinement. It's both a life and possibly a death sentence. While taking a leak in the tiny bathroom, I open the cabinet above the tiny sink. The studio apartment reminds me of various creepy, nasty, cheapjack residential hotels I lived in when I was young, but neater and cleaner as if someone comes in and cleans up when I'm away. I study an array of prescription bottles with names I cannot comprehend or decipher. I assume they're meant for my blood pressure and other typical old fucker ailments. I reach for one bottle, but then put it back. I just don't feel like self-medicating at the moment, not with drugs, especially since I'm not sure what's in them, much less exactly what is wrong with me besides the ache in my gut, the same one that plagued me as a solitary young man. Now I'm just a solitary old man, nature in progress. Nothing to see here, just keep moving. Since I am missing Planet Thrillville, where I have been up until quite recently, or so it seems per my foggy recollection, I select for the evening's entertainment one of my old favorite flicks, Angry Red Planet from 1959. 
I wish I had a pet or someone to watch it with me, a constant companion that loves me without condition. Why don't I? Maybe I'll go adopt one tomorrow. Oh, it will be Christmas, so all the shelters will probably be closed. The day after then, if there is one. Other than a TV, Blu-ray player, and combo LPCD player, I don't have any other technological amenities besides my cell phone, which I maintain mostly to keep in touch with my canine clients, or rather their owners. No computer. I've never opened a social media account in my life anyway. Too many crazies out there. I just want to be left in peace. Now here I am, crazy and alone. I'll probably die that way, just like my mother. I guess I deserve it. I keep saying that because I keep feeling it. As I watch the movie, the giant rat-bat-crab spider monster shows up in, nightmares, in a nightmare sequence presented in the lurid glory of Cinemagic, a process pioneered by, the, by this film, which frankly never caught on, obviously, which makes everything tinted red, red due to the reverse negative or something. It reminds me of the space bar. That's when I noticed something I had never noticed before, despite how often I'd seen it. One of the crew members of the stranded rocket ship is a dead ringer for yours truly. I get up and look closer into the screen, squinting for confirmation. Yup, it's my younger self, all right, shooting lasers at the monster. I close my eyes and concentrate, and suddenly I'm back on planet Thrillville, but in the lurid crimson ambiance of Cinemagic, defending Doc and all of my friends from the rat, bat, crab, spider monster with my ray gun, dressed in my astronaut duds. In the distance, I see the space needle parked in its usual spot. Jean-Luc runs up and hugs me and says, hello, welcome back. I mean, like, literally. My cell phone rings, still the theme from Peter Gunn by Mancini, snap, snapping me back into Fremont. I answer, but it turns out to be my alarm, which I guess I'd set by accident, since I'm always accidentally hitting buttons that do weird shit on that thing. I look around. My studio apartment is dark and empty and cold. I figure it's time to go out for a drink. I check my wallet, empty, so I know it's mine. Then instinctively, I look under my mattress. Thousands of dollars in cash is there, hidden in plain sight. Without questioning it, I grab a wad and head down to Bar House for some bourbon, my true medicine. A festive row of glowing plastic sand statues gleams atop the top of the porch as I enter. Friends of Ivar's, no doubt. They're closing up early since it's Christmas Eve, so I only have a time for a couple of shots as Dean Martin sings Christmas Blues. The joint is almost empty, both up front and in back. I take another weak leak in the bathroom just so I can dig the virtual porthole into an ersatz undersea kingdom filled with coral reefs and radiant jellyfish and other exotic aquatic wonders, which reminds me of the old submarine ride at Disneyland. My parents took me, my brother there, and me there once as a kid, my first trip to California. I barely remembered except for the submarine and the enchanted tiki room and haunted mansion. I hear Tomorrowland has been ruined, all the vintage retro-futurism replaced by contemporary crap. Oh well, that's what's considered progress, I guess. I remain happily stuck in the pristine and phony future of my pathetic, paltry past. I'm in the space bar alone, basking in day-glow green and neon lavender, surrounded by fake painted planets and kaleidoscope Milky Ways, all bathed in dreamy ultraviolet. I'm the last one to leave as the interstellar lights go out. I walk back home and put in another disc, Journey to the Seventh Planet, 1962, another hypnotic surrealistic sci-fi classic from the same team that brought us Angry Red Planet, Sidney W. Pink and Ed McGuire. This one is set on Uranus, not mine. The astronauts hallucinate vivid mirages of women and places from their past, courtesy of an alien brain. That always explains everything. Gradually, I fall asleep, perchance to dream, so I can wake up again someplace else. And there you have it. Cool. That, that that does kind of sum up everything we've been talking about. 
Yeah, yeah, I got. I noticed the tiki references, which I didn't catch. Uh, I don't know. You know, I didn't catch those before. <laughs> well, actually, the, there's a there's a uh, a giant talking tiki in the, the tiki bar in the story uh, named Radon, and Radon is one of the stars of it came from Hangar 18. And the, and the whole idea of Vic traveling to Planet Thrillville on the Space Needle is borrowed directly from the Space Needler's Intergalactic Bar Guide, which, which has the conceit that the Space Needle itself is kind of a prototype for a spaceship, uh, a secret spaceship uh, that was launched, a bunch of them that were launched into space years ago. Uh-huh. Basically, I've created what I call the Bahoraverse, so I'm, I'm self-referencing, so I'm referencing <laughs> to other books. And putting them and 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 putting them into Vic, Vic's world, and vice versa. However, you found sci-fi thoughts, be it iTunes. Stitcher or any of the other podcast aggregation services. If you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review. Even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. Crack open that podcast player and check out the show notes. There'll be references to Bukowski and Thrillville.net. So open up that podcast player and tap, tap, tap on the show notes. Or go back to the webpage where you downloaded the episode. Next episode, we hear more from Will the Thrill, the Harrow. I never heard about the the finishing part of that Christian Slater uh, uh, story.